0: Today I'm in an Old Testament passage, back in the book of Zechariah. For these last weeks and months, I've been fascinated with Zechariah. Anywhere we look, if we really look truly, we'll find the gospel. So we're going to find the gospel in the book of Zechariah. Let me thank Pastor Reese for preaching last week. I wasn't feeling well, had a terrible sinus infection. Thank you, Pastor Reese, for bringing the word of the Lord. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. Today, the message, the title of the message is this The Promise of Messiah, a Wonderful Assurance, and a Glorious Announcement. As we enter this Christmas season, I think this is very fitting, though this is not necessarily a Christmas message. But when we talk about his first coming, it is a Christmas message. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. If you have your Bible, open it there. If not, it'll be on the screen. And it reads like this The angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. And I will give you places to walk among these who stand here. Hear, O oh Joshua, the high priest. Now, of course, we understand this is not the Joshua of the book of Joshua. This is a whole other Joshua. This is Joshua, the high priest. Oh, hear, O oh Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wonder sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. My servant, the branch. For behold, the st- for behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua. Upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land. In one day, what a day that was. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. The promise of Messiah, a wonderful assurance and a glorious announcement. Father, today, we stand in awe of your mighty words. We thank you for your written word. Lord, we come under your word right now. We come under your lordship right now. We want you to speak right now. The king wants to speak through his word to his servants. We pray for an anointing of the Holy Spirit during these moments. We pray that you'd say everything you desire to say, Father. We pray not only would you give us a mouth to speak, but Father, you would give everyone under the sound of my voice ears to hear, and let us hear what you want to say to us on this day. And for this we ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. 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 So as we look back again at this great book of Zechariah, it is the second most Messianic book in the Old Testament. Messianic meaning it's prophecies about the coming Jesus, the coming Messiah. It is only behind the great book of Isaiah in the great breadth of its prophetic pronouncement of the coming Jesus. Here in this book of Zechariah, the Lord, and you'll have to read these, The Lord gives Zachariah eight visions, and in these eight visions, what he's doing is he's giving a new direction to his people, and he's giving fresh encouragement, which they really desperately need at this moment. You know, visions were a way that the Lord would speak many times and communicate with his Old Testament prophets. And You say, well, why would the Lord use visions? Well, I think sometimes the Lord would use visions because they arrest our attention, For instance, if a car drives by, you don't really notice it. But if there's a car wreck, everyone's rubbernecks, right? Everyone looks at it. And it's kind of like that. These visions were a way for the Lord to arrest the attention of his people in great symbolic language. But yet clear language in a sense. Clear in its message, that is. And so what we have here is I want to take you back again. I want us all to go back. I want us to go back 2,500 years. And here's what's happening to this, in this setting. The, the Jewish remnant had come out of captivity. They've been back about 16 years into the land. And you, you'll be reminded. It's actually been about 90 years. This, this dark epoch in the history of Israel. When God would speak to his prophets and say, listen, turn back to me. Turn back to me. And, and, and I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to bring you into captivity if you don't turn back from me. And, they, and the prophets were prophesying, prophesying. Finally, stubbornly, they refused. And they, they knocked down all of God's barriers of the words of the prophets and the warnings of the Holy Spirit and, and all of the temporal judgments to try to arrest them and stop them. But they just busted through it all. And finally, they went into captivity. And now that's in the past for them. And about 90 years have passed. And now they've come back. They come back from captivity. And they, they, God said, I want you to build my temple back. Because the Babylonians had, had torn it down. I mean, we have our steel going up out here. But if you can imagine, it's all on the ground. It's all in shambles. And it's been that way for 90 years. And they came back and they had the initial excitement. They started building. Then it got hard. And then it got difficult. And then there was opposition. And now, for 16 years... For 16 long years, not a sound of a hammer on the temple site. This was the whole reason God told them to come back. I want you to build my worship again. I want you to build my house again. I want you to offer the sacrifices again. But for 16 years, not a sound of a hammer, not a sound of a chisel. What's happening is the people are just going about their lives And I'm sure that it was kind of like it is today when people get nostalgic. For 16 years, some of the older people probably said, you know, do you remember when? Do you remember when we used to go to temple? Do you remember when we used to go to feast? I can imagine the conversation. were much like, do you remember the revivals we used to have? Do you remember this scene and that scene? But all of that was past. And and I wonder... For those 16 years, and here's the question I would ask us all. How could something so precious and how could something so vital just be set aside? And the people just going about their lives and they really forgot the Lord. They forgot what he'd done for them. And bringing them out of Egypt, they forgot the goodness of the Lord. They forgot the, low, uh, the, the, the manna for 40 years. They forgot when He turned the bitter waters and made them sweet. When he, they drank from the rock, He sustained the people. He snatched them out of the hands of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And now the house of God lies in ruins, and they're just going about their lives. And then finally God began to stir the heart of an old man, Haggai. And Haggai brought this kind of word. He said, is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses and the temple of God lie in ruins? In other words, will you put God's interest first in your life again? And then then two months after that, a young man by the name of Zechariah began to prophesy. And it was in November of 520 BC, just two months after Haggai, the older prophet, prophesied, and he came and he brought this message that I bring you. And here's the good news this time was different than when the other prophet spoke. This time the people listened. This time the people got stirred when they heard the man of God. This time when the prophet spoke, they began to take it to heart. And they begin to engage in the work of the temple again. And begin to build the worship of God again. And we come now to Zechariah chapter 3. And as I said, Zechariah had eight visions. This is the fourth one. And in this vision and in this prophetic word, what we have is a lot of gospel here, by the way. We have a wonderful assurance And we have a glorious announcement. Now look back up in Zechariah 3 and 1. Here's the the assurance. And it's the assurance of being cleansed. That Israel needed to be cleansed. The priesthood needed to be cleansed. And the truth is we all need to be cleansed. Come on, amen. The whole of humanity... Is dark and dirty and sin, but we need to be cleansed. And the good news is there is cleansing. Hallelujah. There is an answer, and there's one answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. Here's the scene. Look at the scene. We have Satan accusing Joshua the high priest. Joshua is a high priest, and he represents the people of God. And we have Satan accusing him. We have Satan opposing him. Look at it in verse 1. This is a vision. He said, then, Zechariah seeing this in a vision. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Here's Israel represented in Joshua the high priest. And he's standing there, but he's not clean. His garments are dirty. Now the high priest was supposed to be clean. He represented, he represented the Lord, really. Here is Joshua, and he's being accused and opposed by the enemy. And do you know how Joshua answers him? Can anyone, does anyone know how Joshua answers? Do you anyone know the answer that Joshua had for Satan? He had none. He had no answer. No answer. And we have no answer. On our own. You get it? The the thing is, on our own, on our own against this being, this created being named Satan, was Lucifer. He became Satan, Adversary. We have no answer. So here's Israel standing guilty. Here we are standing guilty. And the, the point is this. Humanity outside of Christ. Humanity outside of Christ. Before, stands before holy God with filthy garments on. That's the message of the word of God. That's the message from Genesis chapter 3. The the, the thing is, there is no... Listen to me. If you hear anything in this message, hear this. There is no human remedy for the spiritual malady that faces mankind. There is is no human remedy for the spiritual needs and the spiritual maladies facing mankind. The, The thing is, no human being can defeat Satan without the Lord on our sides. There's no amount of human maneuvering. There's no amount of human effort and human scheming that can rid the human race of the guilt and the shame of our sin. But many are trying today. Many human schemes. Many of them. You see new ones all the time. Here's the answer. Here's the answer. These four things. These three things. No, I'm telling you, there are not three answers, four answers. There's one answer to the human, the malady of the human race. There's one answer, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Ephesians says this. Think about what it says. Be, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Outside of Jesus Christ, we're no match to the enemy. But when we get in Christ and we get the armor of God and we get the redemption that's in Jesus Christ, we can stand against the enemy and every scheme of the enemy can be defeated. But only through Christ. Only through Christ. What we see here is Satan. Satan opposing Joshua. Joshua. And opposing Israel. And the truth is, he, God, Satan opposes all of God's work in the world. Amen? That's what he does. But notice verse 2, Zechariah 3.2. Look at this. The Lord steps in. Anybody in this room glad the Lord stepped in? You see, if the Lord had just took his, taken his hands off the human race, the wages of sin is what? It's death. And death would have crept in, and it would have crept and crept until finally the human race would have been annihilated. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Hallelujah. And the Lord stepped in for Joshua the high priest. The Lord steps in for Israel, and he in verse 2 says this, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Satan says, I will destroy the human race. The Lord says, Satan, I rebuke you. The Lord, the Satan says, I will destroy the church of Jesus Christ. The Lord says, Satan, I rebuke you. The Lord, Satan says, I will not allow the promises of God to come to pass. God stands up and said, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. I'm telling you, God has stepped in for us. God has stepped in for us. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke you, he says. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Jerusalem. God chose Jerusalem. He didn't choose New York City or Hong Kong. He didn't choose Mexico City or L.A. But there is a city. Some of you been there with me. Jerusalem. God chose Jerusalem. The Babylonians came in and destroyed it. Lay in ruins. It's been the most ruined city, the most ruined and rebuilt city in the history of humanity. But because God has chosen Jerusalem, and it was in Jerusalem that Jesus would hang on the cross. It was in Jerusalem that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. It was in Jerusalem the gospel would go all over the world. and It's even reached us at 1535 North Beltline Road. God has chosen Jerusalem. God said... In a sense, by saying that, he's saying, I am sovereign, and my works may be hindered because of my people's disobedience, but my plan shall be fulfilled because I've chosen Jerusalem. And he says in verse 2, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? He's talking about Israel. Israel had gone into captivity they were under the chastising hand of God They, the Lord said under Jeremiah 70 years are destined for you 70 years of chastisement 70 years you'll be there but then all of a sudden Babylon couldn't hold them Medo-Persia couldn't hold them God said I, see we quote a verse Jeremiah 29 twenty-nine, eleven. I know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans to prosper you and bless you give a hope and a future and we, we apply that to us and in the in a sense, it can be applied to us, but it applies to Israel in the captivity. God said to them, I'm going to pluck you out of Medo-Persia. I've given you my promises, and he plucked them out. And 50,000 of them came back and began to rebuild the temple. He plucked them out of the grip of Babylon, of the grip of Medo-Persia. And then the angel in verse 3 and 4 says, he reclothed Joshua. This is a symbol of cleansing and righteousness. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. This symbolized Israel. This symbolized all of Israel's rebellion. And they were full of idolatry. And this is what they look like in the sight of God. You know, we have a lot of man-pleasers in our world. In fact, the Bible said the Pharisees loved the praise of men. But the truth is, it doesn't matter what others think about you is what do we look like in the sight of Jesus? And it says, and was standing before the angel, and he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. Hallelujah. What he's saying is this, I have a plan to save my people. I have a plan to forgive my people. I snatched my people out of the fire, out of captivity. I snatched them out of that. And and through that 70 years, the, the rebellion broke off of them. They got rid of their idolatry. You know, the synagogues we see in the New Testament started during the captivity. It was a way that God preserved the Jewish religion and the scripture... Shows us that now they're back in the land and they're listening to Haggai and they're listening to Zechariah and they're saying, we want to obey you, Lord. We want to do your work. Is anyone here like that? I want to do your work. Anyone here like that? I want to do your work. I don't want idolatry. I want to build your work. I want to be a part of your house. Anyone here in this place like that? God gave him new clothes. It was, says in the text here, rich robes. Do you know the robes that we wear, let me hurry, the robes that we wear are the richest the world has ever known. The richest the world has ever known. Solomon never wore a robe like we wear. And this robe I'm talking about is a robe of righteousness. Think about it. When a believing sinner, someone who's wasted their life in sin, like the prodigal son, In the hog pen, when any person comes to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and they repent of that sin and say, Jesus, I believe that you are my savior and the great work of and the miracle of salvation takes place. In the eyes of God, there's a supernatural spiritual transaction that takes place. That person not only gets forgiven for their sins, but they are allowed to enter in to the righteousness that's been imputed into our lives by Jesus Christ. We Over our lives, it's been declared that we are righteous. Meaning this, there is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. When a person is saved, they're not only saved, they're justified. They can have a relationship with God. Sin is gone, and now their standing is an adult standing before God. They are adopted to adult standing, and the guilt of sin is gone. And we are the righteousness of God in him because of what Jesus has done. Somebody ought to say amen. Verse 5 says, let him put a clean turban on his head. I'll just brush over this. When Aaron, the high priest was being set apart for the priestly ministry. You go back in the, in the Old Testament and they put a they put re, there's a whole elaborate ceremony they went through and they put a turban on his head that said holiness before the Lord. And what the Lord is saying here, I'm reestablishing the priesthood. I'm setting apart my people to serve me and be a light to the world. God's saying I'm rebuilding my house, Joshua. I've plucked you out of the brand. I brought these 50,000 Jewish people back. I know there's been a delay of 16 years, but I'm rebuilding my house. I'm putting a turban on your head. There will be a priesthood again. The lamb's blood will be shed again. The offerings will be done again. Why? Because they're pointing to the coming one. They're pointing to Jesus, the Son of God, that will come. I'm activating the priesthood again. Now, let me get to this last part. There's not only an assurance That now Israel is cleansed. I don't think there is any greater thing that can happen to a person. I don't think there's any greater feeling that a person can have to be washed in the blood. Do you realize that hospitals are, listen to me, hospitals across this land are filled with people. And they don't know that what they're dealing with, they're trying to treat a physical, uh, they're trying to, to treat a spiritual malady in a physical way. And they don't have the gospel. They don't have the knowledge of God to know how to get right with God. They never had a mom and dad to take them to classes like out here. They don't know how to get the kind of sew the monkey off their back and, and, and the bondage of sin off of their life. And they're trying to treat a spiritual problem with a physical answer. And it'll never happen. But what I want to tell you is this. The blood of Jesus Christ can break sin's power. The blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse a guilty conscience. He can make us clean and he can lift the burden off of us and we can have peace and we can have the life that's more abundantly. It's all in one answer his name is his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And then God gives an incredible promise. Look at verse 8. Jesus, our Messiah, is the high priest whose priesthood was demonstrated in Joshua. Verse 8. Hear, O Joshua, high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wonder sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. Now, let's talk about the high priest. What did the high priest do? The high priest, what was his role? The high priest's role was Twofold. The high priest's role, first of all, was to represent God to the people. God to the people. In other words, the high priest was to show the people what God was like. He was to reveal the knowledge of God to the people. And isn't that what Jesus did? When I see Jesus, I see God. He said in John, Jesus said in John, He who sees me, has, he who has, he who sees, me sees him who sent me. When I want to know what God is like, I get in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I see God in the person of Jesus. I see His glory manifest. The high priesters represent God to the people. But the twofold role of the high priest, the second would be this he represents the people to God. The people to God. God to the people, and then the people to God. See, because the whole human race, And all of Israel, in this text, stood guilty before God. They needed a mediator. They needed someone to to represent them. They needed someone to go before God. You know, Job even said, is there an intercessor? Is there a mediator? We need a mediator. And this is what the high priest would do. Once a year on a very special day called the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in to the holiest of holies, he would offer the blood once a year. It was a yearly cleansing. And it would, in that offering, when the, when the high priest came back out, that meant number one, that God didn't kill him. No one would want to go in the presence of Holy God with sin in their lives. No sin will ever enter his presence. And when that high priest would, would come and emerge back out of the doors, of the holy place. It was the sign that God has accepted the offering. And judgment would be stayed for a year. But we needed more than yearly cleansing. We needed eternal redemption. Here's here's why. Because those earthly high priests were only a type of Christ, the eternal high priest. And here's the thing. All of those men died... Aaron died, his sons died, all the high priests that ever lived, they all died, they all died. They had to get another high priest and another high priest and another high priest. But then, hear hear me, then, then, one day, come on, one day, 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem's manger. Now, I was in Bethlehem, I went to that church, and they said right here is where Jesus was born. Now, I think that's a money-making deal over there, really, to be honest with you. I don't know if that, you know, a little circle like this is the place, you know, give me your $5 now. But I want to tell you wherever it was, I know it was in Bethlehem, and I know this 2,000 years ago, a virgin named Mary gave birth to the very Son of God. The Holy Spirit or the angel said, That which is in you is the, the power of the Most High will come on you. And that which is in you will be the holy son of God. And he came to represent the people to God. And we have, listen, we have one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, they took Jesus. Are you with me? Stay with me another second. They took Jesus and they hung him on the cross. And they put nails in his hands and they put nails in his feet and they he had a crown on his brow. And they took that spear and they jabbed it in his side and blood and water flowed. And they took his body and they placed it in the tomb. And he had said, I'm the Son of God. He had preached and said to his disciples, I'm gonna go to the, go to Jerusalem, the chosen city. I'm gonna suffer by the hands of the Romans and the high priest. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. I'm going to tell you, on that third day, on that Easter morning, I know it's not Easter, but really, in a sense, every every Sunday is Easter because we're celebrating every Sunday the resurrected Lord. We're celebrating a Savior that lives. And let me tell you, when Jesus came out of that tomb on the third day, it was like that high priest coming out of that holy place, and the offering has been accepted. Jesus is alive. He was raised for our justification, and we are clean. We are clean. We have the assurance of cleansing today. And he ever lives to intercede for us. He ever lives to intercede for us. Hmm. I got more, but I always do. I want you to stand. Our musicians are coming. Don't get distracted. We're going to have our prayer time. I don't know what your need is, but I do know your answer today. I don't know what your need is, but I do know your answer. His name is Jesus. Joshua and Israel stood there dirty before God. And God steps in because Joshua, the high priest, had no answer. But God had an answer. Satan rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. I don't know what your need is today. Maybe it's healing in your body. Maybe it's peace in your soul. Maybe it's an answer in your family. But I know we have a living Savior whoever lives to intercede he loves our prayers and our petitions and i would just say this if you have a need today i'm going to open these altars for a moment as we just begin to worship if you have a need in your life i want you to know the lord can say to you over your life to the enemy the lord rebuke you satan because jesus blood has defeated the enemy father today how grateful we are we thank you that you sent one answer to the human race. It's not Jesus plus 45 other things. But it's like on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John were there and he dared to even speak and say, Shall I build three tabernacles? And the Lord said, this is my son. Moses is not your answer. Elijah's not your answer. But this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Father, today, help us to know and understand that the answer to our lives is Jesus. We can call upon his name for healing, for Holy Spirit strength. We can call upon his name to fix our heart, to wash our sins, to lift every heavy burden off our lives. We ask you to do a work today in these moments right here, Lord. We ask you to do a work.